to the Bring Them Home Aliyah podcast, hosted by Josh Wander. Welcome back to Bring Them Home. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim, Mira Kodesh. I'm fortunate enough, again, to have the great guest, Rav Nachman Kahana from Yerushalayim, on the line. Welcome, Rav Nachman. Shalom, Josh. Shalom, everybody, listeners. We uh, yeah, a, we we. Yeah, I just wanted to start off a little bit different than usual because you always ask me about who's listening, and I just got a breakdown of the geographic locations of who's listening to our podcast. Sixty-seven uh, percent are from the United States. Um, within mm-hmm. that, about twenty-one percent of them are from New York, and we also have from Washington State, New Jersey, Ohio, mm-hmm. Maryland, Florida. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. Then we have about 20% of our listenership is from Israel, is fortunate mm-hmm. enough to be here. We have about 3% from Canada, 1% from Australia, the UK, and South Africa. And uh, that's also broken down uh, to about 64% male, 30% female, and the age groups. Uh, I, the, it's a younger and an older crowd. The, the, the middle, middle uh, of the road doesn't seem to be too represented here. And I mm-hmm. also have some feedback which I'll save until after the show to ask you the questions that, uh, that they're asking. What mm-hmm. would you like to speak about today? I'd like to speak about uh, Medina Tisrael. Our What's favorite subject. Event? Yeah. Uh, I just want to say that a whole week has passed already since we spoke last, and the Corona is still with us. It means when there's, there's a message in the Corona. It's the time of Noah that's not been a planetary uh, the, the, the terrible situation where everyone in the world is affected time of Noah until today. There's a message. Hashem doesn't want people to just to suffer. Suffering is a, is a direction from Hashem that a directed that we have to change our direction in life. The continuous as it is means that we're not getting the not getting the message. Okay, anyway, but I, let's talk about later. I'm going to speak about Medina Israel, what's happening now. Is that the message? The message is, no, the message is about the Medina. Why am I saying this? Because uh, a very interesting happened, thing happened a few days ago. Uh, one of my sons, uh, who was uh, a very high-placed official in the security uh, apparatus in Israel, uh, went uh, to one of the Arab countries and they began discussion about opening relations. And this very remarkable situation was happening today. He came up, of course, he cannot speak about what he did. And, uh, but uh, it's enough that he said that he was there and uh, fantastic what's going on. And it impressed me so much that I said, I have to speak about this. Get off my chest what I'm thinking about. If I could just mention that I that I saw yeah. this morning that the head of uh, one of the security apparatuses here in Israel went to Bahrain this uh, week, maybe that was the the the, uh, the visit, and uh, he brought with him as a present to the other side uh, some olive oil 
and some uh-huh. citrus fruit, I believe it was. And uh-huh. in return, he was given a present as well, and the present was a a uh, machine gun. That, they, that was an, <laughs> we gave them an, an olive branch, and they gave us back a machine gun. So uh, whatever that means. Well, it's better than getting back the bullets. Uh, of course, that certainly is an indication of who we're dealing with, no question about it. But just to make up uh, a protocol, my son was not in Bahrain. He was in a much bigger, much bigger uh, goal. Anyway, let's speak about Medina Israel. And uh, not exactly what's happening today, but maybe it's happening today, but actually it's the future. Okay. We need a skite out to speak about the future only in terms of the past because we are a secular, secular nation. What comes around goes around. What happened today had its fundamental roots in the past. The Torah says in Bereshit, book of Bereshit, that when time came for Rivka, mother Rivka, to give birth, there were twins in her womb. And the Torah says the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment that they named him Asaph. Asaph was like a, like, a, like a field of grass. After him, his brother came out, and Torah says, with his hand grasping Asaph's heel. Asaph comes out, and it comes at Yaakov holding on to his brother's heel. The significance of Yaakov's grasping of Esau's heel at the first moment of entering the world is very significant. It could be interpreted as an act of defiance at Esau's audacity or impudence to appear as the firstborn of Bechor with all the rights and privileges. Or it could be a statement of brotherly love, Yaakov, saying that he's difficulty parting from his brother. Let's see how the play out plays out. In Pasha Tolgot, Rivka, with her husband's consent, Yitzhak's consent, instructs Yaakov to go to her brother Lavan's house in order to flee Esau's flaming anger. When Esau's intentions came known to Rivka, as the Torah says, that Esau says, the days of mourning of my father will be here. In other words, his father Yitzhak will die soon. I will then kill my brother Yaakov. When Rivka found out that this is his thoughts, she summoned Yaakov and told him to go, as they said, to her brother Lavan in Haran and remain with him, remain with him until Esau's anger will subside and then she will send word and summon Yaakov to come back home. In Pasha Vayishlach, Rashi says that Rivka sent her elderly nursemaid, Devorah, to inform Yaakov to return home after 20 years. This, re- this requires an explanation. As Esau's anger had not subsided one iota, so why did Rivka send for Yaakov to come home? So I suggest, my feeling, Rivka saw the 20 years of separation had contributed nothing to mollifying Esau's anger and desire for revenge. She understood that peace would never reign between the brothers nor between their descendants at the end of time. But this new perception of the unbridgeable gap that exists between the brothers, Rivki informs Yaakov that he must return and confront Esau with faith in Hashem and act like a courageous man. Like, it's about to say, be a man. Yaakov too understood that the time for flight has passed, that he must, cannot, he has to provide future generations 
with an example of trust in Hashem, to be able to confront an enemy, whatever they might encounter. It became very clear to Yaakov that the idea that he could grasp the heel of his brother with support and encouragement was never valid. Asaph was never brotherly. Even from the outset of their birth, he was an adversary, antagonist, an opponent, and a nemesis. Okay. That's the basis. The Yaakov and Esav, if Yomar says, Halacha biyadua. It's a known halacha. Esav sanet Yaakov. Esav hates Yaakov. Who's Esav today in the world? I would say Esav is the countries, uh, countries of Europe. At some point, Esav left the Middle East and he went to Europe. What's significant, which I pointed out a few, few weeks ago, every flag of Europe has red in it. Esav is red. And the only country that doesn't have red is Greece, because Greece comes from, doesn't come from Hashem. Greece are not Semites, they come from Yefet. But everybody else, from Portugal, the Ural Mounds in, in eastern Russia, everything is red, it's all Aesop. Anyway, let's go on. The leaders of the Zionist movement, including the heads of the Yeshuv and Eretz Israel, prior to the establishment of the state, until this very day, have the doctrine that the Medina cannot exist or develop without ongoing support of a superpower big brother. Yaakov holding on to the deal of Esau. He needs Esau's assistance. We need a big brother. In the early years of the Medina, the Soviet Union wanted to take the role of the big brother based on a large number of former Soviet citizens at the head of the socialist orientation of the government in Israel. At the end of the day, they decided that their interests lie with the oil rich sheiks rather than with, with the imperiled small little Jewish state. <clears throat> so Russia cannot be our big brother. Europe cannot be our big brother, while the hands are still red with the real blood of our brothers and sisters. The United States, aside the bad track record they had during the war, they refused to bomb the tracks concentration camps and the arms embargo that they placed on Israel during the 1948 War of Independence. Nevertheless, we got down on our knees to grab the heel of Esau and pleaded to the United States to be our big brother. However, <clears throat> today, judging by the list of questionable characters who were appointed sensitive positions in the Biden administration, it's quite evident that just as Esau his agenda did not include the welfare of his brother Yaakov, the United States today has their agenda which does not include the security of the Jewish state. The United States under the Democratic Party is no longer willing or even able to continue the big brother role of the recent years. However, there's a good side to this episode. Just as Rivka taught us and Yaakov that when all seems bleak, it's the time to stand up and fend for yourself. To be a man, to be an independent nation, to be Hashem's chosen people. But the lesson is not forthcoming. This places Israel in an awkward position of trying to find another big brother. China, no. China is a huge torso with a tiny neshama. Do you owe no thanks with friends like these enemies are redundant? Russia? They are too busy with their own problems to look across the border. Reminds me of a story of a couple that came to a travel agency and asked the clerk to recommend a nice place for them to spend the summer. 
He said that Spain and Portugal are lovely places. A couple refuted the course of the bad history of the Inquisition. He then recommended, how about England? They pushed that aside because England had expelled the Jews twice in history, plus closed the gates of Eretz Israel during the Shoah. The clerk then lost patience and accused himself and gave them a globe to search and said, look at this globe, find maybe you'll find something here. When he came back, the man said to him, maybe you have another globe. So what does Hashem do for us people in Medina who cannot find a big brother? Hashem and his Golut says they cannot find a big brother, then they will become the big brother to others. Would not be a great, we'll have to be a great local scientist to know that many Arab countries lie for our friendship, not because they endorse the Zionist dream. They need our great technology, weapons, unique Jewish sechel in many areas in the world and for the connection we have throughout the world. The dynamic of this hysterical change is just beginning. More and more countries are going to look to Israel and we should be the big brother. And that's the words of the Shayal, the prophetic words that he says in Parak 49. And that's a very long and very beautiful people go and read it. It's very beautiful. Shem says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, see, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the people. They will bring your sons in their, in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips to bring them back to Israel. Kings will be your foster fathers and queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. That explains more or less what's happening in the change in the world today when nations are competing to, to have friendship with the Medina Israel. The situation was totally, totally unpredictable a year ago. But Hashem works in very strange ways. Usually we don't, we don't understand what he's, what he's doing, what he wants, but now it's quite obvious. Like I said, that if we cannot find a big brother, then we'll be the big brother to other nations until one day we'll be the major nation in the world. And that's not a joke. I just want to conclude, dear friends, that today, the 27th of January, 1945, was equal to 13th of Shvat, 5,705. The Russian army liberated the infamous Auschwitz death camp. Now the nation declared the 27th of every January to be a day to contemplate to what depths of degeneracy the human species can descend to. We all believe, as I believe, that the Germans reached the nadir, the lowest point of depravity, which Gehenna has run out of punishments for. I believed that I was wrong, because there's still another level of human bestiality, that's the Muslim. There was no record of any German committing suicide to kill a Jew. Whereas Islam or Muhammad succeeded in producing such a mutation of humanity. It's estimated that of the 1.2 billion Muslims in the world, 5% are radical Islams. That's about 75 million people. 75 million people leave that as their religious duty to murder all kafirs. In Germany, beginning of the Second World War, 
there are 86 million Germans. 5% is 4.3 million. That's also a number. But there are 75 million radical Muslims. That's a big story. Anyway, it all equals to one thing. My dear friends, come home. This is the first time in Israel, in Israel's history, in the 75 of Israel history, that the gates are closed to Olim Chadashim. And Olek cannot come yet today. They're supposed to come this week, uh, a large number of Jews from, from the Ukraine. They can't come. The gates are closed. It never happened before. It's just that people have a feeling that, feeling that uh, you can't come. When the gate's going to open up again, you have to draw the conclusions and come because they might close again and for a very long period of time. Last year, I think it's been a year ago today almost, that uh, Israel closed its gates to tourists. And uh, a year later, we see another sign where they're closing it to even Israelis, which is unprecedented step maybe in the entire world of a country closing their borders to their own citizens. Um, it's something definitely that we see as signs, uh, that Hashem is slowly giving signs or not so slowly giving signs to the Jewish people that it, they should come uh, as fast as they can. I have a question about uh, about uh, something that's happening in politics in, in the United States, um, which also may be somewhat unprecedented. In the, in the current uh, administration that has taken power in the United States, there is word of um, over a dozen high-level Jewish, when I say Jewish, I don't necessarily mean halachically Jewish or that they recognize themselves as Jewish, but Mizera Yehudim, uh, Jewish people being appointed to high-level positions in the United States. Just to no- name a few, the Secretary of Treasury, the Attorney General, the Secretary of Homeland Security, the Director of National Intelligence, the White House Chief of Staff, the Secretary of State, the Deputy Secretary of State, the Secretary of State for Political Affairs, the Office of Science and Technology, the Director of the CIA. These are all Jews. What What is, Rav Nachman, what do you, what do you make of this fact that... For, for the first time in, 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 in that I can recall, there has been an unprecedented amount of Jews being placed in high positions in the United States. Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, the situation in the United States is going to get worse. They're not going to get better. So I have now someone to blame. Instead of blaming one Jew, will be able to blame many Jews. That's what's going to be. No one can take America out of the, the mud that it's in. A nation that owes $25 trillion. How long can that go on, that economy? I have someone to blame. There's so many Jews in the government. They brought it upon us. Listen, we have, we know, I think, the uh, history shows that Jews maintain very high positions in many countries. But then it doesn't matter. Because the basic affinity between Jews and Goyim is just, it's not, it's not fair. And say a Jew, only a Jew by, by name, who says of any kind of a feeling to the Medina. I remember reading once that uh, they, they interviewed an American, American Jew is very assimilated. They said, what kind of connection do you have with the Jewish people? Do you keep Shabbat? No. Yom Kippur? No. So what, what, do you, what do you have? She says, there's one thing I do have. I read in the paper that Israeli soldier was killed. I give a sign. Yeah, that's my connection. That's the kind of connection these people have 
and the United States. They're Americans. They're, they're American citizens. That's their country. The Americans of Jewish faith, it doesn't mean anything. They won't help you. They won't help you. So we've gotten a num- a, a, quite a bit of feedback. I just want to read two uh, anonymous. Uh, they weren't anonymous, but I'm going to make them anonymous because I don't know if I have permission to mention their names. Uh, comments, and I, I, I already responded to them with my response. I just wanted to hear uh, what your response would be. The first one is uh, off of uh, one of the social media outlets where uh, I'm being written, uh, and the, I'm going to read it, I'm going to quote, and the theocratic mon- mon- monarchy we are supposed to have is exactly where Israel is gullus too, maybe even the worst kind of gullus, since it gives some delusions instead of recognizing reality that a democratic state reliant on the nations of the world is not racist smichas gu'ula senu, but is the same as we already had many times before in our history, Gullus is more than geography. Otherwise, Bar Kokhba's revolt would have been the beginning of the third base of Migdosh, as would have been the rebuilding during the reign of Justinian the Apostate. But if you are right, where is the Malchus, the independence from the world? The fact that Israel relies so heavily on the Umos Olam for its safety is proof that those who live there are also still in Gullus, without the independence that is the opposite side of that coin, the fact that you boast about voting is proof that you are still in Gullus. Otherwise, there would, wouldn't be elections. What would be your response to that, Rav Nachman? There's a classic Haredi yeshivasha ideology. It's bankrupt and doesn't mean anything. The fact of the matter is, Medinat Israel, majority of Jews are here, or soon will be here. We're building a wonderful, beautiful country. Uh, I'll tell you, countries are competing to come with us. It takes a long time. Remember the Raman right in Ilkhot Hanukkah uh, that the Makivim won the war and they established a Medina and a Malchut for 200 years. And it was a very respectable kind of statements from the Rambam. What kind of Malchus was it? The evil kings, civil war, but it's Jewish Malchus. Rabbi Malchus today, in Medina to Israel, Majority of people in this country are Datiyim, or they are Masoratiyim. Uh, Masori is what? Uh, yeah, traditional. The government, politics, the people are great. There's so many yeshivot, so many shuls, so many b'nai Torah. You just walk out, you walk out free, with a little Vanessa in your hand, you can scream, Shema Yisrael, people won't even look at you. It doesn't mean anything. You can say Galut, say what you want, geography, and it doesn't really mean anything. This is a little story that I, that I heard about the great Gaon Rabbi, Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Orbach, a man that believed like this, this uh, writer of this letter, he came to Rabbi and he says, uh, this, the Medina, we don't have to come, and he brings proof from a certain rabbi. And Rabbi Shlomo Zaman says, nicht wichtig, it's unimportant, irrelevant. So irrelevant. Then he brings another rabbi. And Rabbi Shlomo says, Nishvichtik. Whatever the man said, he brought many rabbinim and quoted rabbis and everything. And each one, Rabbi Shlomo says, Nishvichtik. It's irrelevant. He says, Rabbi, how can you say such a thing? And he said, Open up a chumash. Every parasha screams out to you, Eretz Yisrael. What these people say, it's irrelevant. A chumash. Every Pasha screams, Eretz Yisrael. 
the korbanot, the country. Now, we have human frailties. That's what human is. This world is a battleground. But as we take two steps forward, maybe take every step back. But take a look what we did here. From 600,000 people, we have today almost 7 million Jews in Eretz Israel. A Jewish country. Of course we have faults. Galut is a geographical statement. Whether you believe it or not, that's what it is. But I just say one thing. You should keep very close to you. The writer of this letter, the address of the Israeli, close Israeli consulate, because one day you're going to need it when they apply for a visa to come to the country. So there's another uh, another uh, uh, feedback that was sent to us. I'm, I'm not reading purposely not reading the positive feedback. You shouldn't think that it's all negative. Um, I'm purposely reading the the, the negative just because I want uh, a response from Nachman. I just don't want to you know people complimenting on how how right we are. Um, so there's another comment here from an anonymous source that says like this. I listen to your show every week, and yesterday's show, although I agree with everything you and the rabbi say, I do have to say that although Israel did close its borders, even before that, Israel had three lockdowns that obviously don't work, and they are hurting their own people and their economy. I just spoke with two friends who are new olim. They came in August, and they are going insane and are angry. They're running out of money. They can't work, and they are even going. They can't even go to the Kotel. Right now in Israel, it's a Jewish police state 500 shekel fines if you are caught leaving your area doesn't sound like redemption to me i have to say that i have about half of my paperwork finished via via aliyah but i am not going to leave one police state for another until this insanity is over no jew should come i'm not sure why israel is making horrible decisions they're destroying their country you and the rabbi forget to tell your listeners how bad it is in israel right now i pray that it that it will change and the new world order doesn't affect israel because i'm supposed to come in november but if israel tells me that i can't enter until i get a vaccine then i'm not coming maybe let your listeners know what's really going on if I wanted to live in a police state with no freedom, I might as well live in Biden's America. Until Israel changes their stupid policies, I will not continue with my Aliyah papers. Your response, Rav Nachman. Don't come. Who needs you? Meantime, the country is building. There's an epidemic. There's a pandemic in the world. Over 100 million people have been affected already. have been sick. Over 2 million people have died in the world. It's all over the world. You can't stop it. It's an epidemic. It's here too. An epidemic, I told you, I began that Yisurim, or problems or suffering by Hashem, is meant to give a change in direction. We have to change our direction, Eretz Israel. In Israel, there's a large amount. Now, uh, years ago, I served as an assistant to a minister in the government. And for two years, very interesting work. And I saw the mechanics of how the government works. I went out with a conclusion, the same conclusion which I have today, that the people are Dati or they are the Mesoratim. The government is not. The government has, it's a different kind of a world. The government does not really represent the, the structure of the people. What can I tell you? It's a bad time in the world. But to say that Israel is a police state, <laughs> somebody you're talking about the shtuyot. Israel, the policeman is the nicest guy in the world. I have 
son, but you can't, you can't stand to a policeman and say, you're a Nazi. That's not going to happen. A little kid, 16, 18, and say you're a Nazi. Um, how would you feel if someone said that to you? It's a country of Rahmanut, a great country of Rahmanut. But we have our problems. If you want to attack Israel, Bakashar, don't come. We don't need you. Country get along very well without you. I remember a little incident from my say. And the day that we came to Israel, my wife and I, we lived at that time in, in Flatbush. My parents were in the car, and my wife was in the car, and I came down from the house, that little porch. I came down, and I looked back, and I said, oh, this house of my father, with the rabbi in the whole area, so mm-hmm. many things that Torah happened in this house, Torah. So we saw the Torah live here, Iskalachot, and all kind of things. And I looked back, and I said, when will I ever see this house again? How many dangers, how many wars, how many adventures? And then I went into the car, and I drove to the airport, my parents and my wife. And then I met Oppa, I forgot my raincoat on the porch. Made a couple of left turns. Two minutes later, I was back in front of my house. Now that cowboy went up to get my, that cowboy says to me, Nachman, you miss your house so much? Will I see my house again? That's what you want? Go back. Who needs you? I took my raincoat, went down, and never looked back. I'm 60 years. You want to stay where you are? Stay where you are. The country will develop with you, without you. Kodi doesn't need you. You're part of the Miraglim. In the desert, they die. They're forgotten. Same thing with people like you. I don't mean it personally, because if I knew you personally, I probably have been like you. Because I have many friends that think like you think like men, but I respect the you're right to say, but don't think you're not going to save the world if you come here, or you're going to destroy the world if you don't come here. But, but it's a, it's your, you lie in the bed that you make. Here's an opportunity to save your neshama, save your family. Living in Israel for the last 60 years was an adventure which I couldn't even dream that I could even live such a, such a life like this. Masho, I'm talking about spiritual, spirituality of it. I wrote books on Paris and Tosfot, I never in the world could have read one page had I stayed in America. Because there's something in the Kedusha. Because we have problems, and we have a baby, the baby is dirty. You have to clean the baby. So what kind of human being is this? Take a look how dirty he is. Have to clean his diapers. That's a boy, that's a Jewish boy. Shtuyot, that's the way life is. You begin raw, Raw material, and then you work it up and become the greatest country in the world. That's going to happen. And I think that is the biggest argument uh, against all the naysayers out there. Uh, if you wanted things to change and you have whatever list of problems that you think that there are here in Eretz Israel, first of all, I would I would argue that they're not uh, you can't compare them to, to what you have abroad. But putting that aside, if you want things to change, the only way to do it is to change it. Come here and change it yourself. If you're not willing to come here and change it, it's not going to change by itself. If a million mm-hmm. Jews from from Chutzlarts came here, religious Jews, there would be a different government. There would be a religious government. There would, if they joined the army, there would be a religious army. The fact that they're staying behind and complaining is not helping the situation, it's actually hurting the situation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Exactly. People that think that's, that that way should not come here. It, become, it becomes a, a deficit for us. Becomes, uh, it's, a, it's a burden on people. 
my son told me it was a general in the army. He said they don't take they don't take certain kind of people in the army if they have a bad attitude. If you don't want to be a soldier, they can't, the army doesn't have any time for you. Has no patience for you. We want people that are dedicated to be soldiers. That's why there's really no pressure on drafting Haredim because they come with a negative attitude. Come, don't come here with a negative attitude. That's why you feel, stay there. That's why he spoke in Warsaw in 1938. That's why he spoke in Hungary in 1944. Don't come. Not doing anybody a favor except yourself. Beautiful. Okay, so again, another great episode, and I appreciate you coming on again. And uh, we hope that everybody does take this uh, this strong message that's being given by Hashem to come home and uh, finally listens to the messages. And when the, when the gates do open again, uh, they take advantage, full advantage of it, and come back home. Those that, like, like Rav Nachman said, have the right attitude. Thank you again, and Shabbat Shalom. Shalom, Shalom, listeners, Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Bring Them Home Aliyah podcast. If you identify with our message, please subscribe and tell your friends about us too. You can leave us a review on iTunes as that really helps us grow. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. For sponsorship opportunities and for all other inquiries, please email us at bringthemhomeisrael at gmail.com. Check out our website at www.israeltorah.org for more content on this vital topic.